Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hayes and I am your host. And on today's episode, we are back with one of my favorite recurring guests, and that's Athens Clark County Commissioner Timothy Denson. Luke and Tim sat down to discuss how Tim, Mayor Kelly Gertz, and a group of other recently elected progressive commissioners have governed the classic city since 2019, including Tim's claim that the athens Clark County Commission enacted the most progressive local budget per capita in the state of Georgia during their most recent session. And if you're someone like me who's been following this nexus between activism and protests for racial, social, and economic justice, and then the realities of governing when people who want to fight for these ideals land in elected office, I think this is a great conversation for you. Luke and Tim talk about how some of these progressive priorities made it into the athens Clark County budget, how that was spurred by protest movements in the Athens area, and interestingly, how the catalyst for some of the startup funding for some of these progressive priorities was actually the signature legislative accomplishment in the early days of President Joe Biden's term. Joe Biden, not exactly a favorite of the people who took to the streets in protest last year. And I think this is a useful reminder for folks who may get too caught up in the online infighting among Democrats and progressives and leftists or socialists, that it's a confluence of forces, including activism and winning elections, that presents the opportunity to enact progressive change into law. And that doing the hard work of governing can make allies out of people who formerly opposed your ideas. So on a week where Republicans continue to whine that their voting restrictions took away Atlanta's baseball all-star game and argue that critical race theory is one of the most important threats to our schools, national Democrats are pushing a $3.5 trillion investment in the American people, and local Democrats like Tim are completing the job of Joe Biden's American Rescue Plan by investing those resources in people's economic opportunity and well-being. And yet again, as I always am, I'm struck by how different governing looks between these two parties. And so with that, here's Luke's conversation with athens Clark County Commissioner, Timothy Denton. Without further ado, I, I am here with uh, one Timothy Denson. The, is it Timothy? It is Timothy. It, it is Timothy. It is he is Timothy. a county commissioner yeah. in athens Clark County. Uh, you know, fans of the pod, friends of the pod would, would know him well because he's been here you might actually be our guest who's been here the most. I mean, I think this, I, I think it's my third. Yeah. At least third. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So you, right. you've been here a lot. Um, Ooh, right. But, you know, a lot has happened. So every every time we talk, we have we have good reason to. Sure. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited to have you here and excited that we have a very interesting thing to talk about. Because one of the reasons why when you texted me I was excited to have you on is... What you texted me about was the fact that you made the very bold <laughs> claim that athens Clark County had passed the most progressive budget in the state, and so I, you know, I think I think that's a, a bold claim that we should just start immediately on, <laughs> All right. you know, because I, I don't know, I, I feel like there's been a lot of attention on Georgia in, mm-hmm. in politics, especially on the left, because of the successful Senate election of you know Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff and. Joe Biden winning the state. Unfortunately, as far as the local politics go, right. it's been, you know, the dumpster fire of the legislature and the governorship of Brian Kemp and that the idea of getting to talk about a local Georgia story that's not SAG <laughs> was yeah. very appealing to me. And so yeah, I, I just want to start there. Like, why is this the most progressive Georgia budget? Well, you know, I think it's that it's uh of how community focused it is, you know, I think that the pandemic has really uh, 
put a spotlight, I think, on a lot of the shortcomings that uh, we've had in Georgia and Athens, the United States, a lot, you know, and a lot of the issues that face people and how they've just been worsened and highlighted by this pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I think that uh, the mayor and the commission in our community has really noticed that. And there was a real push for us to, uh, you know, to focus on on issues and to use that funding in the way that's going to have the most community impact for those who need it. You know, with us being uh, the first city in Georgia to go to a completely zero fare public transit system, for us to increase uh, the minimum wage for all county employees to $15 or higher, to be creating the Athens Area Homeless Shelter as now a repeatedly funded uh, independent agency that will always be funding for homeless services, to you know finally us uh, actually having a non-police uh, crisis response uh, teams put put in place for people who are having mental health crises, you know, all of these things I think are uh, are things that people have known we've needed in a lot of times. At least people on the left, I guess I'll say, uh, that there's need for these things, and that we were able to finally use this moment uh, and use this pandemic in a way that's really going to help people. You know, if there's a silver lining here, it's that that uh, I think that we're taking more seriously the needs of folks and addressing them. So, yeah, it's interesting because as you were talking through that the thing the the question i was going to ask you is if you thought the pandemic make it easier or harder to do those things and sounding like you're on the side of the pandemic made it easier well there's one way that the pandemic made it a lot easier and that way is called the american rescue plan because thanks joe biden (laughs) no it's i mean all of a sudden i mean a lot of these things did have some uh questions of of there's a lot of ways that we we figured out ways that we could fund some of these things like uh, zero fare transit. We have we have a funding mechanism that is sustainable. Uh, same thing with the non-police crisis response teams. But there's there's always a lot more money for the startup cost that's needed to get that first year running, and, and that's been I think the the missing piece a lot of it. For zero fare transit, we know that we can get to a T spot and we can start using operational funding for that. But that T-SPLOS isn't going to start actually turning out new money and for another year and a half, two years. So I was like, how are we going to fund those next two years? Oh, well, American Rescue Plan, that's how. Same thing with the the, the um, non-police crisis response teams. How are we going to be able to get that startup cost to actually get some of those capital things that we're going to need, like vans and stuff, to be able to have these teams to be able to use? Oh, American Rescue Plan. So that really kind of filled in this this missing gap we've had for a while. Yeah, and, th- and that makes sense because the thing that I've been – watching with Clark County that I've been really curious about and we I think we probably talked about this the last time you're on is just there was the progressive wave in 2018 that elected mm-hmm. you that elected Kelly and Gertz and elected a lot of other progressives and 2020 basically continued that trend definitely was not a regression by any means but it mm-hmm. kind of felt like there was a lag mm-hmm. <laughs> on getting a lot of that stuff done and so do you think that that logjam, like what, what, what do you put as the cause of that, that logjam or do you disagree with that assertion? It's just as far as the, like the really big ticket items, I feel like yeah. this year is when I've started to actually see some of those things happen. No, I think, I think you're right that they came to fruition. And I think the, the answer to that isn't 
like necessarily one thing. I, I'd say it's three things. Well, it's complicated. <laughs> it is complicated, <laughs> but, but I think I think that is I think that is definitely a, a correct observation. That so one thing is that uh, government's slow, right? I mean, it is just frustratingly slow at times. It takes it takes a lot of times to be able to move to steer these giant ships in a slightly different direction. So that's you know that's kind of the the big boring answer. Um, I think the the other big thing is that uh, not only is it is government slow, but uh, so we, I think we're finally seeing the fruition of inside outside organizing, which I think is something I've definitely spoke to before here. Which before being on the commission, I was very much experiencing the outside part <laughs> of you know of using uh, advocacy and activists and 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 lobbying, uh, citizen lobbying to, pu- to push for a certain thing. So we've seen that this ramp up over time and build and build, while at the same time we were slowly probably more slowly building the internal capacity uh, to be able to actually make those decisions finally happen and get actual budget money behind them. You know, and like when it comes to the Kahoot style non-police crisis response, you know, that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the Black Lives Matter movement protest that happened last summer. And for the, what I guess technically was a failed push on the 5010 uh reimagining public safety plan that myself and commissioner Raya Parker pushed last year. And so it's, I think, you know, a lot of times, but we needed that failure. We needed those protests. We needed this year for those things to fester and grow, uh, for us to be able to actually get, um, get it to pass, you know? And I think the same thing, even for even bigger example is zero fear public transit. You know, I mean, uh, I started campaigning on that in 2013, um, eight years ago back during my, again, failed mayoral campaign. And it is these, a lot of times these positive changes are like built upon uh, what one time looked like failures, but as long as you don't actually give up on those things, you know, before you know it, or maybe not before you know it, eight years later, uh, <laughs> you actually, you're able to get these things actually done. And, um, you know, so I think that's the other piece. And then like, again, that inside, that inside capacity building up, a big part that changed here, uh, which you know we were talking about a little bit before we started recording, was uh, Commissioner Jesse Hull was elected onto the commission, kind of giving um, the the far left uh, caucus or whatever you want to call it group of commissioners that myself is a part of, uh, giving us this other like really strong, dedicated uh, voice and a dedicated vote, kind of you know to get these things done. So yeah, no, it, it's it's. Tim, one of my least favorite things about you is that every time I have, like, oh, I have a great follow-up question, you will manage to end your answer with Uh-oh. the thing I was going to ask you about, which, you know, was building up that internal capacity, because as we were talking before we started recording, and you were talking about how important it bid for, you know, Jesse Huell to get elected and be on the commission, like, the first thing I thought about is just, like, how very, like, Lyndon Johnson-y you know, do you have the damn votes? Yeah. Like, you know, it's just like it's at some point, like that is the most important thing. And yeah. that like, if you just have the votes, it's like, it's crazy what you can do with the majority, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and so it's just like when you, when you, cause that, that was where I was going to follow up. It's just like when you said building the internal capacity, was it literally just the votes or were there other things that you think mm-hmm. have given y'all the ability to do these things that even if you'd had the votes earlier, do you think you would have, you know, being able to do the same things. That's, that, I was very curious on that. Yeah, you know, I think obviously the vote is the most important part. I mean, it is, right? It, of course. It helps. But, but it does. It does help. Nothing else happens if you don't have that part. But the weird thing is, right, is that, I mean, so 
we're talking about a, a body that has 10 seats and that the mayor only votes if there's a tie. So three votes is not a majority, but it's just, it's, it's, it seemed to be that tipping point number, somewhere between two and three, where it made it just so much easier for you to be able to get up to that five or six that you needed to. You know, I mean, there was something about like the fifty ten plan again last year. That Which, made... what, what is that? Because I, I can't remember if okay. we actually talked about that last time. So uh, the fifty ten plan was a number of uh, budget allocations that were going to be quote unquote reimagining public safety. That was going to be uh, using funding more in a capacity to provide community supports and make a ro- more robust public safety uh, response, rather than putting all the responsibilities um, and keeping all of that within the strictly the police department. So it was going to be having a non-police uh, crisis response division. It was going to have more money going to the public defender's office. It was going to have uh, uh, increase in the funding, the capacity of our 911 response teams. And some of those things did pass, but uh, a, a lot of it didn't. Um, and I said did 50% of the... <laughs> oh, yeah. The, 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 yeah, the, the, yeah, moving 50% of the funding towards community uh, uh, supports uh, and not, not explicitly to uh, the, the police department, of course. And this is the... Uh, this is... Uh, people uh, listening to the podcast might be most aware of this uh, This thing that we pushed because of what it actually brought about, which was uh, the bill that Houston Gaines uh, was able to pass that is that bought with that well was intending to bar a local municipalities from being able to cut their police budget by more than five percent uh um in a given year or ten percent over five years um a little tidbit nobody seems to understand about that bill is at the very last moment they weakened it so it actually says that municipalities can do that the only thing they have to do to do that is to take out an ad in their newspaper stating that they are doing so and they can do whatever they want to. But anyways. Um, the radical tendency. <laughs> Talking but, about the details of esoteric I know, conservative I know. legislation. That's it. But, but you know, but, but so I, I uh, you know, and it, it, it was, uh, but, it, but it failed. And we were able to get some of these things through. But it created a very big divide, I would say, in the community and on the commission. And that, that, that proposal failed 2 to 10. I mean, 2 to 8 uh, on the commission when, we, when the 10 commissioners voted for it. And so I think it's a... What we presented well, this time was very different, I would say, but still having three people really strongly advocating for some of the things that we wanted swung things in a different direction. And the very bold budget that that we uh, that we helped build um, passed eight to two this time, rather than you know so. So it reversed, which yeah. is good. And you know the thing I would say seven there, seven three. How to correct that seven three? Yeah. yeah. You know the thing that I wonder there is. There's a couple things I, I, I pull on. One, as far as from my not on the commission, not hearing all the meetings mm-hmm. viewpoint, the fifty ten plan that you guys were pushing, as far as I could see, that was the most controversial thing that you guys had done, I, I would think. It was. Yeah, in that I imagine both on the commission, your fellow commissioners and Probably your email. <laughs> that was oh, yeah. maybe your maybe your snail mail as well. Uh, mm-hmm. That was the like most controversial thing, the thing that was giving you the most heat. So you know what what was that like? Because and you, you can tell me if this this perception is wrong, but back in 2018 when y'all got elected, 
I feel like there are so many easy wins for y'all because former mayor Nancy Denson, no relation, right. uh, was far more conservative and just did not do a lot of things that a fairly progressive, even singer left community mm-hmm. would do. And so I feel like for a while there was, you know, Kelly was getting up there and just being nice and progressive and just like we're you know wing 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 and just like doing all these easy things and to some extent i feel like that probably diminished the need for or at least the like the awareness that it was really necessary to do some bigger reckoning with like some established things and yeah that's just my assumption just because of the fact that y'all were doing a ton and it was Mm. all good stuff like no i have no qualms about it i i you know i I was very happy with many of the decisions y'all were making but i feel like at least from an outsider's perspective when you guys introduced that 5010 plan that was like the first time that you guys like hit the wall of like no <laughs> you guys are going way too far <laughs> even yeah. for how you know more progressive Athens had gotten in the Nancy Densing years and those easy wins that was when i feel like you guys actually like faced real consternation and opposition yeah no i think i think that's i think that's really right i hadn't necessarily thought about that way but i think i think you're correct though, that when we came on with this big sweep of all of a sudden the, the the makeup of this commission and the mayor just changing so rapidly. You're right. I mean, there was this, when we walked in the door, there was basically this, like a ton of like solar projects just like sitting on the table yeah. that was just like, pick this up and do it. And all of a sudden we're just like running towards having, you know, like hundred percent renewable energy and all these things that was like, and it did start to give us a little bit of a feeling. I think that was like, man, eh, this is easy. You know, we're maybe we're like walking with a little bit too much swagger than maybe we should um and who knew you know and at the same time it probably also did um in a way like make us a little bit lazy on pushing for some of the things that maybe some of us personally myself like knew that we needed to get out there and yeah yeah that we that we just relied on some of those easy things for a while and that one yeah no you're right it was a very different feeling it was a very different push it was honestly one of the most uh stressful times of my life i'll say during during that whole time you know, one of my fellow commissioners, you know, had a, an extremely unfortunate, unexpected death that happened. So all of a sudden we were reduced just the nine people working there uh, during this whole budget session, during a pandemic, during the Black Lives Matter movement, during, uh, you know, peaceful protesters getting tear gassed in our downtown. And, uh, you know, all this happening kind of at the same time, the stress was amazing and i think a lot of it while where we didn't know where necessarily to put it me and also the commissioners who didn't agree with me a lot of it i think was just very conveniently put into taking sides around this around this specific policy you know i think that policy ended up carrying a lot of the baggage of us like you know losing a friend and a commissioner of watching peaceful protesters get all everything that kind of got tagged to that policy a bit very unfairly yeah. I, I would they, say well because because there's two there's two things i want to pull out just to, you know because not everyone listening isn't i know yeah, yeah right, so right. you know it's like you got elected in 2018 so you have this period where you're just like doing all the easy shit right. <laughs> basically and then uh after that you know you're that roughly puts you into because you get elected in 2018 but you actually don't get seated until 2019 right yes yes and so really yes. it's 2019 you're doing all the easy stuff and then by the time 2020 comes around yeah. you've really almost run out of that and that's when also the pandemic happens and then you know you, you've left them out you know a name but just you know for for clarity jerry neesmith a mm-hmm. very long-serving commissioner right? yep. uh, like how 
at least a decade. Uh, he was going into, I think, his... He was going into his third term, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so mm-hmm. almost a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, had unfortunately you know, passed away. Uh, and on top of that, you have the pandemic and protests, and you're trying to really push the commission somewhere further than its natural pace. Yeah, and, yeah. And just to clarify it was Sorry. you and mariah parker right who were working yep. on 5010 because mm-hmm. i don't think we had mentioned that yet now that you are looking back on that fight and the fact that you guys have been successful on passing some elements of of that plan like what do you think are the lessons from that because yeah was it just like too much at the wrong time was it that some elements of it were uh, more acceptable and other elements were less palatable. Like what, what, what do you take away from it? Yeah. You know, I think, yeah, like, like you said that we were, it was definitely pushing, I think faster than what the majority of the commission and, and, uh, and definitely what, uh, mayor Gertz was willing and prepared, I think, and comfortable with. And I think, I, I think the biggest change, right. And, and we've seen this constantly, but maybe quicker in the last year than normally see is how much like in a moment we can see people protesting right and you know protesters i don't know like especially by the right and stuff will get dismissed like all the time of just like oh just people just protesting doesn't mean anything and it and and i think that the reason people think that is because it is very hard to measure because you look at like you know you look outside the next day and the people the thing that people were protesting for it didn't get done but what i've definitely seen just in my in my work with protesting and stuff it does. If you keep at it for a while, it does shift the narrative. It totally shifts the way the political wind's going. Never faster than a person notices, right? If you're if you're in the ocean, sitting there in the ocean, you normally can't like tell the when a current changes in your body, but it has changed. And I think that's what we saw is like because so much of the fifty ten plan got passed this year, and it and wasn't for, a, for context. When when did it fail? It failed almost exactly a year ago, June of June of last June of twenty twenty. Yeah, so I mean that was definitely very much and right, you know, right when George Floyd happened. I mean, you guys yes. kind of like I imagine that plan was thought of before that happened, if or no. We we like, yes, like you yes. and Mariah like we worked on some about the, it. Yeah, we yeah. worked on some of the elements definitely. Some of the elements were already there, and I think the as it definitely became a little bit more bold, I think, because of the moment. And I think it should have. I still stand by it. It failed, but I stand by it. It was the right thing to do. And I think we're seeing the fruition now of how much protesting, people speaking their voices, the Black Lives Matter movements actually have done. And people will say like, oh, Black Lives Matter is written on a street. Like, no, we're seeing real policy shifts and changes. The, the people, I had people come to me who were, outright against the 5010 plan thought it was insane who came to me a year later or less and said like no i get it now like this needs to happen these things need to happen and i mean for for instance one of the things that we were pushing for was simply taking some of the the police positions that were vacant making and and keeping them vacant and moving that funding to pay for uh non-police crisis response units 
So that's what, what, that's what we God, wanted. Tim, you are too bad. I, I'm well. You're you're blowing my mind on how good you are at like predicting what I'm about to ask you. It hurts. It physically hurts I'm me sorry. because no, the cry because I, I want to preface this a little bit because okay. one, people might not be familiar exactly with how the crisis response mm. teams work in general, but also specifically in Athens. And so, correct me if I'm wrong about any of my facts, but my understanding is there was one crisis response team. For a while in Athens, where, which was a police officer who was partnered with a mental health professional. Those right? are the co-responder teams, which we okay, still so, have. So that is that di- that's a different. This program. is going to be different. Than okay, that. so uh, I think it would be helpful to talk about the co-responder program probably, and then talk about okay. this other one. Sure. So uh, that- because like my my understanding again, tell me where I'm wrong, because I I just think this is a great idea, and I actually yeah. had seen the co-responder team talk, which was it was basically. We had one guy yeah. and one woman whose job was every time there was a mental health, perf- you know, like crisis that got called in, they were supposed to go to it. Yeah. And, you know, Athens ain't small, so they, I, I'm sure they were very overworked and overstressed. But from what I heard when they were talking, they had really great results and that it really resulted in people getting help rather than just incarceration. And so to mm-hmm. me... You know, I, I have always thought that defunding the police is just the worst possible branding you could come up for a concept. Yeah, yeah. You know, like as far as like how do you turn off people immediately and not have the best term for something, that is that. Because if you explain the co-responder model, right. just about everybody I've ever explained it to thought like that's a great idea mm-hmm. because um, it, it's just it's very, very hard to respond to anyone who is having a mental health crisis whether it's a stranger or someone you love and know very well and and just the idea that we're sending people who are completely untrained into that situation it's like police that i've talked to don't want to do that oh yeah (laughs) like you know it's like no one would want to do that and so that idea has always i thought been a great one so that's the co-responder model and so you guys did not expand that you expanded crisis response teams which is we did both actually oh you did both so, oh, good. so that's what, good, one of the things good. that we were actually able to get through in the 50 cent plan last year was saying that we wanted to um double the number of of co-responder teams and so that happened last year and that what okay. we had to do and then we added uh i believe four new teams this year okay again just talking about like showing the shift like we had to fight to get so two we have teams one last we have year. one team so now there's two teams in uh, oh sorry there's two teams in 2020 and so i believe we're up to eight teams now they're okay they're, they're technically funded yeah so. um going up basically going from one to eight in about two years which is pretty good it's pretty good yeah and and um and, and those teams do do a fantastic job but yeah that, that is a police officer teamed up with a mental health professional uh the problem is that that well they, it's a co-responder team the responder part is a little bit uh misleading in which they never actually really responded to emergencies if you called 911, you couldn't ask for a co-responder team. Mainly because, like what you said, like they just There's weren't... only, you know, sorry, with only two people. Right. And like they, they only go so far. And a lot of the work that they did was more like caseworker stuff. They would do follow-ups with people who had been arrested or had interacted with the police the day before or earlier in that day and try to follow them and try to get them into places where they could have services provided for them that they needed. But they weren't really being the one that, the, the first, people were still interacting with police officers who weren't trained for those situations. And that's what really led us to wanting to have this non-police crisis response uh, kind of division created. It's very much based off of uh, CAHOOTS, which is a a division that's in Eugene, Oregon, that has uh, an EMT, 
teamed up with a mental health professional instead of with a police officer that's not there. And so they don't answer, you know, violent or dangerous calls, but somebody can call 911 and say, um, I need, basically I have somebody here who's going through uh, withdrawal from, you know, from substance abuse or that is having an overdose or that is, uh, there's, there's a homeless individual here that's having a bit of a, a crisis right now. Those kind of things. Then, so those cahoots would go out and respond to that. This has now been copied in Denver with the Star Program, Albuquerque, all over the country. This this, this is being implemented because it's been really really proven to work. And so that's what we're trying to get here. And, I, and actually, one of the reasons I pushed for this so hard in this year's budget was I had a situation in which I was downtown on a Monday morning, uh, uh, running some errands, and I was driving through downtown, and I saw at about eleven o'clock in the morning. A guy on top of a parking garage acting erratic and pulled over just to check without what's going on and then definitely saw that he was acting like he was suicidal. So I went over to the sidewalk, yelled up to him, what's going on? And he told me that he was feeling suicidal. So I asked him if he was okay if I came up to the roof. All this I'm doing while I'm on 911. I called 911 immediately. <laughs> and they were like listening in. 911 dispatch is doing an amazing job. And I told the 911 operator. I knew this wasn't the way it worked, but I said, hey, I'd love to have the co-responder team here. And uh, went up to the parking deck, still talking to this individual who's just going through a really hard time. And um, sure enough, police showed up. And I was thankful for the police showing up, obviously, to have some kind of support there. But regular officers tr showed up who were not trained for dealing with this. Um, and they did their best and I actually kind of stepped back in a little bit because I had a rapport with this individual to try and we were able to talk him down thank God yeah um, and then about 30 minutes later after the individual sitting on the floor of this parking deck and we're talking to them trying to set 30 minutes later then the co-responder team showed up and again thank goodness they did they were able to work with them uh, get him some of the support take him to the emergency room then take him to advanced behavioral health to get to be able to work with them which uh, is the yeah, a behavioral health center that, that helps people with mental health uh, situations. But the problem was that they didn't respond to the emergency. I was like, we still need somebody that can respond to the emergency there. If you call 911 for a fire, they don't send the police. If you call 911 because you fell out of a tree or your kid fell out of a tree with a broken bone, they don't, I mean, the police aren't the people who are going to come there and set that. Like, they, it's why you have EMTs, it's why you have ambulances, it's why you have fire departments. So we simply need to have a more robust uh, response to this. And uh, so that's what we pushed for. And that's what we pushed for a year ago. And I think this is the most interesting thing. Again, just showing that, that shift of a narrative is that what we asked for was to go ahead and keep some of the police department positions vacant and move that funding over to help pay for this. It was a huge hell no. Brought about massive protests at City Hall while we voted on this budget. There was physical altercations between pro-police protesters and defund the police protesters outside. And now, was that in 2020? That was in 2020. Okay. I mean, it was just so, a yeah. huge blow up. Yeah. And the crazy thing is then we move forward this year, the police department proposed to us, oh, hey, we got these five vacant positions. We actually think that we can just take the funding from those vacant positions and fund some of the co-responder units. And then maybe we'll have some funding left over that we can do this non-police crisis response. Like that year of, of people pushing for this and the Black Lives Matter movement growing and us, you know, working internally, too, to try to make everybody have a better understanding and comfort with these policies brought it about where we didn't have to propose it. It was proposed by the folks who told us hell no a year ago. Um, and I thought that that was just a, a pretty monumental shift in, in, in thinking in our approach to public safety. So, 
Yeah, well, I, I think that really is a testament to not underestimating the importance of education in these things. Because, mm-hmm. you know, my brother's in law enforcement, so I know I know mm-hmm. a lot of people in law enforcement. I talk to him. I love my brother. <laughs> He's a good guy. <laughs> he tries to do a good job. And, you yeah. know, it's just like it was hard for many people in law enforcement to not feel like they were under attack in 2020. Sure. And I, I think the good thing about the conversation being ongoing is that a lot of folks even you know have have had the time to reflect and come around and to also just like reckon with the fact that it's like i don't like being called to (laughs) mental health crises that i don't know how to deal with they shouldn't have to yeah exactly they shouldn't have to and it's just like that framing i feel like is so so much more productive because of just the fact that it is truly a situation where everyone can win because You know, it is just an element of this is this is training that you can't do in a three hour seminar. Right. And yeah. once a year or every yeah. two years. It's like I, I think you definitely should do it. Mm-hmm. You should still have the police trained in these things because you never know what exactly you're gonna get called to. But when someone's explicitly like, hey, mental health crisis, it would be good if you had people who were better trained in those situations than mm-hmm. the, you know, main focus of police training which is responding with force to eliminate threats yeah and it's just like it's just having a diversified response yes it's just like it should be common mm-hmm. sense so we uh j- just to be clear because we haven't directly hit on it so what is the crisis response team because we explained the co-responders so the crisis response is what it's a. Uh, it's it, yeah. how many people are there? Because we have the eight co-responder teams. So how many? So right now, uh, we just we just mm-hmm. now uh, are going to be starting this program with Advantage Behavior Health is our is our partner on it. Again, a uh, mental behavior health uh, entity here in town, and it will have a mental health uh, professional teamed with an, an EMT, um, and that can be an EMT from the fire department or or different. There's a lot of ways that can be done, but those are the two individuals rather than having a police officer as, as part of that. Um, because a lot of times some of the people who, you know, who are going through these crises, um, and again, not because a, a police officer is going to do anything, but again, they, they don't have the training. And sometimes the presence of a police officer means a lot of thing, things in our society. Yeah, and, I, I, was, and, right? I was about to go there again. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, yeah. And, 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 and can definitely maybe not be the, the, the best presence to show up in the situations. And uh, so these folks are kind of housed in a in a in a, in a responder van that will be much like a like a, an ambulance, but a little bit different. They can transport somebody to emergency room if they need to, or to uh, you know a behavioral health clinic if they need to. And uh, the, the very interesting thing is where this has been done in in Eugene, Oregon, like I said, where it, where it started, it's been going on for decades at this point. Um, it's it turned out that. If I remember correctly, 98% of the calls that those, that those teams, the Coots teams, uh, responded to uh, did not end up needing police backup. 98%. So, I mean, this is a pretty strong number. Yes. Yeah. And, so, and so then you end up saving a ton of money from not having to have police response out to these things. You end up saving a ton of money when it comes to actual uh, like emergency room visits. A lot of stuff, and there's a, there's a lot of savings that's that's in place. I mean, not to mention the fact that it's uh, expensive to incarcerate people. Very expensive and to incarcerate expensive people. Expensive to process people during you know that right incarceration and, as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just so, so we don't lose the thread. How many? How many are there? Uh, 
Now, at this time, we're starting with one team. At, we're in a three-year pilot program, so it's one team this year. I believe it's supposed to go up to four teams next year, and I believe it's supposed to go to 10 teams in the third year, which at that point we would hope to sustain 10 teams or reevaluate and possibly need to add or, or subtract at that point. Right. And I, I imagine you know, might end up reassessing the, the co-responder teams as well. or you know, Yeah. yeah I, I think that there will find a, t- a way to basically be able to possibly house those, those groups together. Um, and have them working together more. Because right, there's there's obvious overlap. There's obvious reasons why they are different, but there's also there's benefits a lot of overlap. To both, I yeah. definitely think. And and, and, and getting this, you know, like I, I like you said, I think you put it really good. Like the defund the police is just a t- it is, 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 it's is, bad is, branding. It is, it is a term that I, I do not at all uh, subscribe to because I think it does uh, frame this just in the correct way. And I think you like you put it diversified. I was like diversified, robust response to these things. And when you think about it. Uh, we think of ambulances as this like common thing that we have here. The ambulance responses, like ambulances, have only been around for like as we have them in society and the way they respond now for you know for less than like eighty years. That's that's a bit of a newer development. That again, we decided that like oh we don't have all of the the response mechanisms that we need for public safety, and we created the new one. And this is just another step. Yeah, because like for me, I you know I talk, I, I can't help myself uh, talking to people about politics. I literally ha- I I want to meet the person who truly honestly thinks that ha- like paying people to work for the government to respond to crises who are not cops but trained in mental health is a bad idea right. because like I haven't met that person yet yeah. And, yep. you know, and, that, and that's one thing that, like, I I just, I basically always start with, like, defund the police is terrible branding. What mm-hmm. they're really asking for yep. is just for some more people. I, I think the real big difference probably from where I am to where those folks are, there's actually been, you know, a lot of studies done that having cops does actually reduce crime. And mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. like, if you you fully fund your police departments, it does. And so I've always been the more of, you know, uh, keep adding on rather mm-hmm. than taking away mm-hmm. is probably where you're going to have the most success. Yep. Uh, and because, you know, it's just, these are big counties. Yeah, it's yeah. just like, there's just, there's just not enough human beings to do the work. And so it's more of asking the cops to do less. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it's going to make them happier. Right. It's going to make everyone else happier because they're not going to be so stressed out working with a bunch of people. And, you know, the, the, accountability issues are still of course there but if you're just not putting people in situations where they're set up to fail yeah like that will make it a lot safer for everyone involved well if you have to have you know four cops responding to a homeless individual uh you know who's having a mental health crisis if you don't have to if you have somebody else doing that well then those four cops are able to be out on the streets but doing patrols to actually try to deal with things that we actually need cops to be able to deal with. You yeah, know? it's uh, just yeah, yeah. exactly. Because like literally, the only people that want to see the cops are the people who call them. <laughs> yes, it's like that's yeah. the only time you want to see them. And you know, if you if you have other teams that correspond to the issues that cops don't need to show up to, yep, then it's a lot easier. So, Agreed. yeah, I think we've definitely hit the the criminal justice elements of this most progressive budget, and we've talked about fare free transit a good bit both today and other times since that has been your, mm-hmm. your hobby that's, horse. That's, for sure. That that's now, my baby. That's my yeah, baby. Yeah, you can you can ride that baby re-election. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we, we talked about that. So what else? What else is in this budget that you feel like really claim to fame, you know, showing it to Atlanta <laughs> well, <laughs> and the, yeah, other, yeah. the other more liberal cities in, in the state? Yeah, so, so I don't get caught up by, like, city of Atlanta. I would, I would, I'd say probably the most, most progressive budget 
per capita. I mean, yeah. the amount of, the amount, maybe let me see that. There you go. I think, I think in my text you, I might have said Northeast Georgia. I might have said all of Georgia. I might have been, I, I might have, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. I might have been but feeling yeah, really cocky. Yeah. But, you know, I think uh, one of the other th- big things is, you know, the $15 a minimum, minimum wage for all county employees. Obviously, here in Georgia, municipalities are barred from being able to set actual minimum wages for our municipalities or our counties for the entire area. So we can't force other employers to pay a minimum wage. But the best way that we can have an influence on that is by helping to set that bar higher by paying our own employees a living wage. And so it was a big step and a big uh, investment, I would say, to uh, to move us to that $15 minimum wage for all full-time, part-time, even seasonal employees, even people like poll workers who don't work a lot, but those days that they do work are pretty stressful. It's we'll very be making, important, too. We'll be, yeah, we'll be making $15 an hour, which is a lot more than they make right now, y'all. Um, How much did they make, out of curiosity? Um, I, I worked, I, I was a poll worker a few years back, and I want to say I was making eight eight and some change, I want to say. Okay. Um, I, I believe it's uh, it's definitely under like 11 right now, so uh, bumping that up. And so that was that was another one of the big investments. And um, and then taking a lot of steps uh, with, with homeless services, um, again, making uh, actually making uh, one of the homeless shelters here in town, one of our sustainable independent agencies that we will be going and funding every single year uh, for providing homeless services. Uh, we, we've added that in, which is something that never existed in our so like what, before. So, what like difference does that make though? Because it makes you, it, you could say you're giving it sustainable funding, but like, what do, what does that actually like raw impact mean? Um, I mean, it's, it gets a little boring. So we, we well, that's we, why I'm asking. All right. this is Peach Pot, the boring. People. All right, let's get it. So, and, and I think this is a little bit unique. I think every every county or city, I mean, we're you know, since we are a consolidated county and city government, we're even more unique. But we have a, a small group of, of agencies, uh, the library system being one of them, um, every, and some other service providers, even like a tutoring agency that we somehow got in the store. It's a, it's a very exclusive club. Of nonprofit agencies that 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 we make a special way that they can come in and uh, put in a, an ask for us, and this is based on a previous year's ask for them to be able to come back. Previous year's ask, making it a sustainable thing. They do still have to make the ask, so it's not a guarantee, but it is very very likely that they will be funded at least somewhat close to the level that they were funded the year before for those services, and they can always ask us for more. Um, and so we've had that provided by uh, for say a neighborhood health center for um, again uh, the library center a number of other things but we never had anything for homeless services that was just never we never had an independent agency that did homeless services before and the commission was coming around especially again kind of from like in light of the pandemic uh, about what we needed to do and so uh, the Athens area homeless shelter is getting funded um, I believe it's two hundred twenty thousand dollars this year as an independent agency and so they'll be able to come before us again early in the budget process next year along with other independent agencies asking for that funding again and, and asking for potentially additional funding so it, it's kind of a it's kind of a big step to be able to add somebody especially at that level of funding into that group um and and, and, and by doing that it allows those independent agencies to really kind of put in place some new operations because they can say well we can rely on this funding this is not something that's just like kind of like going to just show up one year and probably not be the next year. We can, for the most part, rely on it being there years to come. And so they can actually operate new programs and stuff like that. So Athens Area Homeless Shelter mainly focuses on uh, housing homeless families uh, rather than individuals. 
who might go to the, say the Salvation Army or other shelters like that, they actually have uh, apartments or specially designed shelters that can that is, that is designed to have uh, parents and children, sometimes even pets, which is a very difficult situation to find housing that can that can work with uh, families. It's very rare and it's a lot more expensive to be able to do that. And so they specialize in that. So this is going to be able to open up the number of apartments um, and uh, and and shelter units for families that they'll be able to house. So, yeah, very cool. Yeah, yeah, because. It's always good to kind of make concrete what 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 the money yes. is going to do. No, that's true. All, you know, I I feel like this is one area where progressives make a lot of mistakes, which is that we're very eager to be like, oh, we're throwing another twenty thousand dollars to this great program. Yeah. It's yeah. like, what's it do? Yeah. <laughs> like, what's this yeah. great program doing? Like, we never say that part. So, yeah, it's going to be able to get families off the streets and be able to transition to permanent housing, get the supports they need. Um, and this is also in line with other things we're doing with uh, Project Reset, which is uh, an eviction avoidance program that I've been uh, pushing and championing for here in Athens that Gwinnett County kind of created and it's being replicated now. Um, that will come up with settlements between landlords and tenants so that rather than get evicted, they'll be able to stay in their homes and also the landlords get a decent chunk of the money they were asking for. So everybody kind of wins in that situation. Um, and again, it's no, another one of those I think issues that we just that really get highlighted because of the pandemic, and that hopefully we'll be able to make it through. The CDC just expanded the eviction moratorium for one more month, uh, which gives us a little more time to get this program set up and ready to go. But um, with that housing, when it comes to people who are necessarily homeless or close to homeless um, or just in need of affordable housing, housing is another big issue that we're focusing on this budget. Plus, also with uh, the American Rescue Fund, it's becoming a probably one of the most key things that we'll be focusing on with that money. Yeah, that's one, one thing I picked up on doing mediation and magistrate court for landlord-tenant disputes mm. is that there are just... I mean, there are, of course, some landlords who are just jerks. There are some tenants who are just jerks. Mm-hmm. But, like, the vast majority... I was, I was genuinely shocked because yeah. I did a lot of cases. The vast majority, like, literally both sides were very reasonable, very nice people. And it's just, like, a lot of landlords were just like... Like my my margins are very small here. Yeah, and it's yeah, like yeah. if I'm not getting, it's like I have to pay the property taxes. I have to pay right. a lot of things, and so you know having support for both sides of it, I think, is definitely something that is valuable in pursuing just to avoid a lot of those temporary emergency homeless situations. Mm-hmm. Because it, you know, it's one of those things that I'm amazed with just how consistent it is in government that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure you know it's just like there's so many situations where if you just provide a little bit of preemptive support Mm -hmm. it will save you so much in the future it's 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 crazy definitely i think evictions is one of the biggest places you can get that because once a person gets evicted they have the eviction on their record it makes it so difficult for them to find housing. It makes it so much more likely that they're going to end up being homeless, which then makes it so much more likely that they'll end up in our jails. Which you know, it, it just these yeah. things all are connected. And so, yeah, if you can if you can step in at that one critical moment and keep that person house, so that domino effect doesn't happen. I mean, that saves everybody tons of money and tons of headaches. And yeah, so it's it's to me it's it's a very obvious thing that I hope that we invest in here right now for the pandemic response. I think will be a proven a, a proven tool that we can actually keep going for years and decades to come, yeah. just to try to 
cut down and get down those evictions. Yeah, because I mean, almost every situation I read into in magistrate court where people who you know lost a job or their car mm-hmm. broke down, and it's just like a very reasonable reasons why they missed the rent for a couple months. Yep, and it's just yeah, it's, it's definitely a place where more support I think would would be useful. And so yeah. So I mean, there's there's that one. One other big thing that we that we invested in too. This and Commissioner Mariah Parker was really uh, integral in getting this pushed through. Was you know, um, like we've had a, a large burst of gun violence here in Athens Park County. It's like a lot of metro areas in Georgia. Well, I've around seen. the country. Yeah, around the country. I mean, yeah, 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 when definitely. you start on that, I mean, the thing I would just say is, I think this is just useful framing. Is you know, we both have lots of friends in Atlanta. Mm. I'm sure. I would be very curious if you've had the same experience for a long, long time. I would just constantly hear offhand from my friends in Atlanta how frustrated they were with how much of the news coverage was about crime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if they ever turn on the TV, if they, you know, local news, it's like, oh, there's going to be like five minutes or ten minutes worth of bleak at lead stories right, of right. crime. Yeah. And they just feel like, this is not my experience of this city at yeah, all. Right. Whereas like in the past six months... Yeah, I've really actually heard people bring up crime before I do, right, right. and be like, "Oh my God, what is happening?" Yeah, and to I mean, I will admit to myself, like that's been kind of my experience of reading, you know, reading about what's going on in Athens lately, and I, I yeah. don't think it's just the fact that there are more outlets now that cover those things. No, there definitely uh, has been a, a Like, there's weird... something going on nationwide. I, it's not Athens specific, but, like, there's definitely something going on. I agree. And I think, I think I mean, this is this is me completely just, like, my own thought process coming to it. Like, I think it's very much connected to the pandemic. I mean, the biggest thing that we've had... Oh, I, over I, here, I agree with you, by it, the way. Yeah, the biggest thing that we've had in my in my district, uh, thankfully, we, we, while we have had, um, I think, one of, one of the shooting situations in my district, the biggest thing has been just, like, speeding and joyriding and so and when we had uh this one stretch of road that's in my district very close to my house actually uh all of a sudden within the first two months of of this year um had uh, had uh, i believe five accidents four fatal accidents within like less than two months um in which normally would have you know that would be how much we'd have in an entire half a year for all of Athens, not just this right. one street, you know? Um, and so, and a lot of that was because of like speeding and reckless driving. And I think it's very much tied also to, to the, um, to the, to the gun violence. I think it's just like, there's something, I think a lot of this is around like, honestly, our own mental health and emotional reactions to a pandemic and what it, people react very oddly. Um, and I think that, that that's that's come out in some ways that I don't know if we're ever going to be able to understand ever or it might take us a long time. And so we've seen that with, with, with the gun violence here in Athens. Thankfully, we haven't seen uh, upticks in most levels of crime here in Athens, but the, the gun violence has definitely been up higher, just random shootings in the houses, uh, definitely some a few fatal shootings too. Um, random shootings at cars driving by, like completely unrelated, not even drive-bys, but like people just driving down the street and there's something in the woods just shooting at cars that's happened. Um, and so because of these things, um, and definitely uh, at least some of these situations, having youth be the ones involved, um, Commissioner Parker's kind of taking the lead and pushing for us to have uh, a lot of funding for um, youth development and trying to, again, just try to have a a more community-led response to to those crime initiatives and trying to find other outlets uh, that we can bring youth and people who might be involved in this crime to get involved in some other outlets and some other just uses of their time and energy that aren't dangerous to themselves and others. 
Um, and so that's uh, that's still being exactly filtered out how it's going to look. Some of that's going to be like gardening programs. Some of that's going to be just like youth programming at our youth centers across the county. Um, so I think that's another big step that we can take. Hopefully that will be you know, very proactive so that we don't necessarily end up in the same situation that Atlanta or other larger metro areas are. So. Yeah, you know, one, one thing I would just pull on there is like I honestly don't think people have been responding oddly. I mean, you know, things have been generally good for me besides the minor apocalypse. I Even I would say the past year... <laughs> has been one of the most stressful of my entire life. Right, yeah, and, yeah, and, it's, yeah. and so it's just like, it's unsurprising to me. Honestly, I think it's more surprising that after such a time of incredible stress, you combine the reopening with a lot of pullback of the sport that's been keeping people afloat in that yes. time yeah. it's like it's unshocking to me that people have reacted poorly <laughs> and that people have you know their stress has gotten hold of them for multiple reasons you combine the federal support the state support being withdrawn mm-hmm. and they're not being a real active thought out transition i mean i have really thought that this is just right. a under thought about problem because even as much as i think the american rescue plan was great and very smart and did a lot of things for a long time that we should have been doing mm-hmm. same thing with the american jobs plan nobody has really been proposing a long-term recovery that was individualized in the way that I think could have prevented this. And I, I think the reason why yeah. is because that's incredibly hard. <laughs> sure. And, you know, it's like, it's one of those things, like, of course no one's thought of it because, like, that's the equivalent of getting to Mars right. to restructure society in a way that would have prevented this crime wave. But I think it, unfortunately, was very, very predictable because, again, it's one of those things where as much as I will not be shocked if both the Atlanta and even in Athens, if crime becomes this big topic that yeah. like, you know, Tim Denson sending here right now is like, I'm not going to talk about crime that much in my reelection. <laughs> and you know, you're going to be a month or two out and you're going to be the crime guy <laughs> just talking about <laughs> crime all the time because how much people get concerned about it when reelection or just election time comes around. Sure. Like, I will not be shocked if I read, you know, some <laughs> op-ed from you about crime in a couple months <laughs> just because of how much people end up getting worried about it. Oftentimes, there's, like, a very big difference between preventing crime and reacting to crime, right? Agreed. And oftentimes, we confuse those two things, thinking that reacting to crime is preventing crime. It's like, no. I mean, there might be some downticks in some ways because if you're reacting to it. Um, but prevention, crime prevention... Uh, it's very much like health prevention, right? Like, if you want to prevent having diabetes, it's 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 much better for you to actually just try to like, you know, work on. I mean, if you're able to, like, work on your on like your health and your eating rather than trying to react to it after you already have it. Um, and it's very much the same thing. And there's there's you know there's just no no shortcuts to this. There's no magic wand you can you can you can wave. And that's why I really appreciate uh, you know Commissioner Parker for pushing that and us having this in the budget. And while I know, like you, people talk about like you no, know, like youth programming or um, or these kind of these kind of like community program kind of things as crime prevention. People oftentimes roll their eyes. Um, it's because again, like you don't see necessarily the, re- the 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 exact correlation causation there that you would you would want to. But oftentimes it is there. It's just hard to measure. You know, it's hard to measure 
how many crimes you might have prevented by having a fantastic summer camp. It's like you're never going to be able to tell. Like, because you're able to help these kids who end up becoming, having much more, you know, better lives moving forward, how many crimes they wouldn't have prevented. I mean, they, they might have caused. I mean, and there have been studies, and they've usually been decently positive. I mean, it, but, but you can never, it's, it's a small effect, but even it's still a positive one. It's totally a positive one. I guess what I'm saying is, like, you can never, like, point to, like, a voter or somebody who maybe is experiencing crimes, saying, well, this is how you prevent crime. They want to see police on their street. Yeah. They want to see people getting arrested. They want to see that 11 o'clock news and they want to see people in handcuffs on that, you know? Right. And so I, I think that it's going to take a, a bit of a, honestly, like a, just a societal shift uh, in the way that we even think about crime and crime prevention if we ever actually are going to be serious about trying to prevent it. And it, it takes this kind of really forward thinking and honestly, the budget, the money that we're putting forward to it is probably a drop in the bucket of what we need to be doing or what Atlanta needs to be doing and stuff. But at least it's something. Um, and, and this isn't at all to like, because I don't want to get angry emails saying like, well, you know, yes, yes, we also need to have police out on the street. Like, I, you know, I, obviously I know that we need to have that presence. That's part of it too. But it, we need to stop thinking that just throwing more money at police departments, more money than they oftentimes need necessarily, like, you know, or, or having more officers than we need. Um, which I'm not saying that we're there. We obviously still are having hiring problems too. Um, and they probably should be paid more. Uh, but that is, uh, the both, you have to do both of those things. You can't be doing one or the other. And one time we're oftentimes we roll our eyes at those preventive measures when those are really the things that, that would be working and we should be at least experimenting with, you know, so. No, I, I agree with you. Um, so to, to begin to wrap up here, mm. um, you're up for re-election. I am. Most of most of this progressive wave is up for re-election, and I will admit my biases that, like, let's say six months ago, I was pretty convinced that there was going to be a pretty nasty backlash against y'all mm-hmm. and Democrats in general, and that there would be a lot of momentum behind that, and that like it would feel threatening. And I still would have put my money on y'all winning, mm-hmm. but I still think it would have been like, oh, this is a real, a real thing that's happening. Right. And I don't know what it is, but like I have felt that diminishing. And if we kind of hit on this um, before we started, there, I, I think there's two elements to it. One is very specific to Athens, in that I feel like our mayor, Kelly Gertz, is very similar to Joe Biden in that he's kind of just an affable, likable guy. And it's really hard to be like, oh, that Kelly's so radical and so bad. Right. Because he just kind of is nice <laughs> to yeah. people. Yeah. And, like, that's his perception. And, like, it's hard to see him as being completely unreasonable for a lot of folks, I think. Uh-huh. Because he, he does work really hard to try to include people and seem reasonable. Uh, right. I would think that that really has been his brand for a long time. And so in, in, in that sense, I think some of the more radical things that have been done seem less radical because of him signing off on them and not mm-hmm. fighting them. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. And then the other thing that's completely irrelevant to, to us, but I think is worth mentioning, is just like how insane the opposition has been and how yeah. you know, Joe Biden has been pushing a lot of reasonable things on the national level and on on the state level the legislature has really just not been acting sanely in my opinion and so i feel like that's that's taking a lot of that energy out because the reasonable legitimate criticisms that i think could have been 
very, very effective against the government that you know y'all have built have been drowned out by the the wackos. And, sure. And so I, I think that creates an interesting dynamic. And so I'm, I'm just curious what you're like. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, like, like, you know, you know I, I told you you're going to be writing the op-ed about crime. Like, what do you think you're <laughs> going to be doing? Like, what is this re-election going to be about? What's going to, like, what, what are the stakes of, you know, Kelly Gertz's re-election slash your re-election, that kind of thing? Like, what, what, what are you thinking this is going to be about? Yeah, I know. I, I, I remember we actually did yeah, probably, yeah, six months ago or so. I think we talked about it. I think I was even, like, agreeing with this. Like, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the, the right here in athens Clark County in northeast Georgia has been trying to get more organized, um, and I thought maybe we would see. But I think part oh, yeah, of this is right. Been, we did talk about that. Yeah, you know, and yeah, I, right, right around six months. Yeah, and, and I think that was a lot of truth. But I think that part of this is uh, the pandemic, right? I mean, uh, those people uh, going that was real with them though. What, 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 <laughs> like they were true. still meeting. <laughs> but the, but the but the people who are going to be deciding those things, it's it's people in the middle, right? That those people have to influence actually to be able to pull over, and so. And one thing we know in politics that's always true is that, you know, uh, usually uh, even somewhat competent uh, response to crisis benefits incumbents. If you make it through the other end, the people aren't dead. Uh, <laughs> it's a low bar. <laughs> no, I mean, it, no, it, it's, it's sadly a low bar, but I mean, heck, we just look back at, and not even that, but like that, that the things are still okay. I mean, cause, right, we had, we had, you know, so many people die, 100,000 people uh, and, 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 die here and in September 11th, even like that. But right, but people respond to incumbents and they look they look for leadership there. And oftentimes that helps incumbents. And right. I, I, don't, I think that's honestly like not even like accurate. I wish there was a more subtle response to that, but that's what it is. Um, so I think that helps us come out of this pandemic. And I, I do, I think that the, the Mayor Gertz led us very well through this, this, uh, this pandemic. And honestly with the commission, even commissioners who I don't always get to work with. I think we worked as a team really well through this whole thing. We're able to make really sound decision making and, and lead Athens to an area where uh, Athens is the metro area that has the lowest death rate per capita of any metro area in Georgia. And I think a lot of that's because of how the communities responded and how the leaderships responded. Um, but the other thing that I think that um, that why we set up well, I think next year for re-election and for years to come to get even better progressive policies passed is that much like in economics, um, there is, and I think this is something we've been talking about a little bit throughout this, is there's a delayed reaction to political movements. Um, and I think that we are seeing still the delayed reaction. Maybe, maybe they haven't reached the pinnacle of the, the reaction to a Donald Trump presidency and Donald Trump leadership of the right. That, that, that we might still be seeing what's the, the worst for the Republican Party to come. I mean, it's probably very true up here in the, in the Georgia 10th with Jody Heiss running for Secretary of State, and who knows what's going to happen there. So I think that that, uh, that party is still headed downhill, if I'm being honest. And that well, we... I, I have money on Jody Heiss winning, so I agree with you. Oh, what's that? I have money on Jody Heiss winning, so I, I, oh, I agree with you. You scared yeah. me then. Yeah. You, you and your bets frightened me. Yeah. But, 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 so I, well, I think, I think correction, that... win the nomination. Not, oh, win the nomination. Okay. Not win the whole election, but oh. I... I yeah, I mean, Ravensburger, I think, is actually truly just slightly off topic, but that's what the show does. You know, it's like, he is, Ravensburger is one of the smallest, smartest politicians I've met, and that, like, his campaign to win that primary was very smart, but mm -hmm. I don't know if he's going to be capable of moving in the direction that's necessary to win that primary with the Republican base. Yeah. As it is, because of the fact that so many 
of the reasonable people have left the party. No, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like I, I don't know. It's like four years ago he had a really strong case to make to those folks, and now he doesn't. I mean, and right now we're talking about potentially some of the leaders of the Republican Party in Georgia being. Jody Heiss, Herschel Walker, and Vernon Jones. You know, I don't it's think like, Vernon's gonna win. But yeah. I don't think Vernon's gonna win. Right? Yeah. But, but but his name is being elevated to the top of this party because of Donald Trump and such. And so therefore, because that's happening, I think that the the I think it's I, I don't think we're seeing a recovery from the Republican yeah, Party for a, a few drain. more years still. Yeah. And and so and I mean Jeff Duncan, who I will say uh, unabashedly, I think is the smartest Republican in the state, is. Not running for re-election. Exactly. Because he, he he knows what's happening. He's going to duck yeah. down. He's going to get out of this, come back later unscathed. And and, and so I think that there is a, a, a window uh, for the left, uh, speaking the Democratic Party, but also just a more broad left to be able to organize here in Northeast Georgia and all of Georgia, uh, uh, you know, to, to do more work. And I think that we see that potential. And I think that we're... Uh, prepared to respond uh, to that opportunity and that and that we'll take advantage of it. So, I mean, my hopes are that that we keep uh, the mayor commission, a bold uh, progressive mayor commission in place here in athens Clark County and start finding ways to be able to uh, expand uh, that progressive vision uh, throughout Northeast Georgia with people like Devin Pandy running for mayor in Gainesville and and, and, and other, uh, you know, the vacancies being made by Judy Heiss, although I don't think we'll run any kind of congressional seat right now, but we can make inroads, though. Yeah, and I, I think that's important because, I mean, probably, Tim, the first time you ever saw me speak at Clark County Dems meeting, it was probably me saying, don't run against Judy Heiss or probably Paul Brown back then. <laughs> it was like there was no point yeah. uh, to doing it because of how, how rough that district is. Um, but, you know, the, play, the place I'll wrap up, I think, is why does it matter though? Like, okay, great, we reelect all y'all. Like, what are you gonna do? Like, what what do you think you can do if you get reelected compared to if this is where you ride off into the sunset? Okay, no, that's that's a fantastic place for us, and I'm glad we got there. I think the biggest single answer is again the American Rescue Fund, this hopefully upcoming infrastructure bill or bills um, that we will see, and that is going to be a lot of money. And are possibly the most money that that local governments in local regions have been able to see in decades. And it's very important about how we use that money. If we're being forward thinking so that we're using that funding to really make our communities and the lives of the people who live in these communities better for generations to come, which I see that possibility. I mean, I'm I am getting prepared to push for, you know, municipal broadband to be able to put in Athens Clark County for us to be able to finally update the bridges that have been failing, that have been built in the 1940s, that are, that are failing on us now, to get those things replaced, to have you know, safe ways for people just to cross the streets next to our elementary schools. And this isn't situations that are just unique to Athens-Clark County. This is situations that are unique for every, every county, in, honestly, in America. Um, and so we need to have leadership that's not going to be short-sighted, that's not going to be egotistical thinking about these things, and is going to take some of those hard steps, like I think that I've proven that I'm ready to fight with with the 5010 plan, which even maybe sometimes we're going to be a year early on some of these things that we're going to push for, but eventually everybody's going to catch up and realize it's the thing that we need to do. We need to have that kind of leadership pushing for those things so that we can actually have the society that all of us need and deserve. Um, and so, I mean, I think it's, I think it, this is honestly, I think we're at not just, uh, you know, a, a a precipice here in Athens-Clarke County, not just in Georgia, 
honestly, probably for the world. It sounds like ridiculous to say that, but I think it really is true <laughs> that that because like so many countries and so many regions are going through the same thing. But it really is like we are at uh, at this very unique point that we get to decide how well are like our children and grandchildren generations of them being able to live their lives. Are we going to use this money and use these uh, these lessons learned in the right way? Or are we going to waste these things with political squabbling and argue about Donald Trump for another four years? Um, I hope it's the <laughs> sure, former. You know? Sure, hope but, not. But you know, yeah. but I mean, that's that, that's that's kind of where where we're at, and um, and so I'm hoping that we can see some bold leadership happening on Congress and the Senate and in D.C. Uh, right, right now, I have uh, my policy intern came from working for a congressional office up in D.C. and straight to working for me down here on some stuff. And and they've they've loved it. It's been very interesting talking about like well like they were there helping to work on some policy briefs for getting you know art passed in D.C. and now working on actually like how are we going to spend this money very locally with these exact dollars. And um, so you know I think that it's it's a it's a challenging time up and down the ballot really is. And and so we'll see how we react to it. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure uh, at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, so you know, where where I always like to to wrap up our conversations, especially, but uh, all all the interviews I do is I, I like to flip the table. Have you asked me something? Oh, so man. you forgot. And, you know, I forgot you yeah, did yeah. this. I for, I forgot I forgot to warn you. Uh, but yeah, what 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 do you think? What, what's on your mind? What oh, you all right, me? all right, all right. Um, we're 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 sitting here in my like office music room right now, like surrounded by instruments, and and I know I know that you like to. To do some music also yeah so my question to you will be um you're, you're mainly guitar right is that what you've been yeah i want to learn piano but okay you know, and i sing but yeah not well anyway. so so uh uh all right here we go okay what is um i'm guessing you do this to, like what, what like what what uh what cover songs have you been are you have you been enjoying to like pick up the guitar and 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 do just like kind of like bring you a little bit of comfort during these uh stressful times yeah you know the worst thing is i hate to admit it but like i the pandemic has like taken music out of me for some reason i'm like playing yeah and so it's really weird i've been been writing i've been doing creative writing so it's like i've been working better yeah before before the bar was over or or, sorry yeah i just graduated from law school so i'm gonna be taking the bar so before i graduated and was gone to bar prep mode i've been uh working on a uh a uh techno thriller as they'd say very michael craggan all right so it's been it's that's been fun so that's been my creative outlet but i really want to get back into uh playing music and i want to learn piano because i i I, the pandemic really got me on a uh father john misty and warren zavon kick all right i really really want yeah i really want to learn piano for both of them and Recently, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Now, all three of those artists use right. lots of piano, and yes. so it's like I need, I need, need to do that. But it, it's an intimidating instrument. It is. <laughs> you know? It's, a, it's I like get, you look at it, and you're just like, you're not Elton John, or you know, immediately. It's like it's hard, hard to sit down at one. Whereas, like guitar, guitar sounds good if you're bad. Where you, you can like, you, you can work you can it out. It. You can make you can it work. work it, right. Like you're bad on piano, you're bad. That's true. That's <laughs> yeah. a good point. There's there's no but, there's no bad good way to play piano. And you just gotta jump into it. Actually, pandemic driven me. I've I've never been that good at piano, but uh, a local university was having an estate sale here in town, so I bought that piano that's in our room now for I think eighteen dollars and, and moved it in here. Yeah. And uh and and spent another fifty getting it tuned. And yeah, so it's 
pandemic's trying to I did try to play some Elton John and it's just it's just too far away from me still. Yeah, oh, I can yeah, I can yeah. pull off some 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 Ben Folds, but I can't I'm not up to <laughs> I'm not up to Elton John yet. Yeah. Well thanks for inviting me <laughs> to yeah. have you on the podcast. <laughs> and and this was fun and good to good to catch up because I think this is probably the the first time we've seen each other since the pandemic. Uh, besides, like randomly outside at some random. We got some beers. Room. We got beers. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right, right, right after, right after vac, vac, vaccines happened. That's know, right. So, that's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. But, but no. It, besides it's, that, though, so it's the second time we've seen each other in too long. So it, no, it's good. Uh, and just a plug, no, for 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 you and Kyle, definitely appreciate it. Uh, my usual wind down at nights is to is to go outside and, and and shoot some basketball and listen to a politics podcast. So I mean that's. I'm usually uh, listening to y'all while I shoot air balls, trying to hit three pointers. So it's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm ha- you know always glad to be the inspiration. <laughs> thank, thank you, thank you, Tim. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into Peach Pod. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to Peach Pod on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, take care, y'all.